Did you know that the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland? We've got all sorts of fun facts and more coming up. We got lots of info. Let's rock and roll. It's Did You Know with Rhino. Hello and welcome to this episode of Did You Know with Rhino. In case you didn't know, I'm Rhino. This is my show and I know exactly what you're thinking, but that's a horse of a different color. In today's episode, we're going to have lots of fun, and you might even learn something. So without further ado, let's do this. You know, sometimes we do this episode with all sorts of random guests or uh, awesome friends of mine, but we're not doing that today, as uh, I'm not quite sure when this episode will be airing. So instead, you're graced with me and a bunch of my awesome ramblings. You're welcome. This is normally the time where I open up Rhino and the Mailbox of Doom, where we go and try to answer all sorts of fun questions that you, the audience, has asked. But since it's only been a hot minute since the last episode was recorded, I don't necessarily have any answers for you. But keep on going to the Facebook page, Did You Know with Rhino, the Twitter account at Did You Know Rhino. Or email us, did you know Ryano at gmail.com, in order to answer some of those fun questions. And your answer could be here on the podcast. In fact, a question could be here on the podcast as well. For example, if you were to ask a question, Ryan, who is your favorite Avenger? I would respond, Ant Man. Yeah. So if you were to ask questions like that, I'd give you some fun answers. Or if you were to say, Ryan, when was the first comic that Ant-Man was in? I would have to ask which Ant-Man you were referring to. Eric O'Grady, if you were talking to Scott Lang. Now, Scott Lang, his first appearance was um, March of 1979, Avengers 181, or as Ant-Man, Marvel Premiere 47. But if you're talking about Hank Pym, you know, Ant-Man awesomeness. Um, he was there in January 1962, but didn't become the Ant-Man until Tales to Astonish number 35, September 1962. So yeah, that would be an answer if you were to ask questions to any of our social medias. Now, since we're talking about some awesome things known as the Avengers, I'd like to tell you about a couple of stories I've been reading lately, mostly the 90s run of The Avengers 1998. It's a fun series with uh, with pretty much the original Avengers. Um, Iron Man, Thor, the Wasp, Ant-Man, um, and then uh, Captain America. They're all together, but they also have a lot of their classic lineup with... With Scarlet Witch and uh, the Vision and Wonder Man. And then they introduced uh, Firestar and Justice into their little uh, gang there. Of course, they have a bunch of reserve uh, members like uh, like Warbird. You, you know her as Carol Danvers. Or um, Black Panther, T'Challa. They even have Triathlon. And, uh, well, Hawkeye has been missing for some time. But it's kind of fun. Um, there's a lot of drama when it comes to the 90s um, 90s Avengers series and it's all about 
who's going to be in the group, who's not going to be in the group. Each character kind of has their their own thing going on in separate storylines, and then it falls out in this one. Um, the return of Ultron, uh, Wonder Man, him coming back to life, uh, Vision with his existential crisis. There's lots of chaos happening. Uh, there's even some stuff uh, as... Uh, different organizations are trying to bring down the Avengers and try to create some sort of public outrage for the lack of a specific type of person or mutant or, well, mutants are people too, uh, lack of people in their group. And it leads to all sorts of weird drama. It's kind of like a soap opera, but comic book version-wise. So it's pretty cool. And if you wish to join in on any of that, you could always go to your local brick-and-mortar shop to check out some of the 90s Avengers. Or you could uh, get them on Comixology. That's a thing. Or you could always go to your um, Marvel Unlimited app. That's what I do. Get the subscription and read Unlimited back issues. So that is totally a thing. I also read this... um, it was this Venom story about this black goo. Now, it was before Eddie Brock was working for the, the Bugle. It was, it was it was before that sort of stuff. And it was told like a 1960s horror movie or 1950s horror movie with this black goo of hatred trying to chase and destroy and murder folks. And this was even before Venom was thought of, before Spider-Man was a thing. This, that's when this takes place, and it's it's dark and creepy, and it was pretty decent. Um, so I'm going to be reading a little bit more of Venom in the future, because after I do some more Avengers comics, I'll be reading more Spider-Man comics, because that's what I'm kind of in the mood for at this moment. If you have any recommendations on comics you'd like me to check out and give a review to, please let me know on Twitter, at DidYouKnowRyanO, and I'll be able to be like, Yo! This one was cool, or meh, not a big fan of that one. And that has been my comic review of the month. Now lately I've been trying some new crockpot recipes because it decreases the amount of time that you spend uh, actually making food in the evening and increases the amount of time you have to spend together with your your family. And you can figure out... uh, all sorts of cool stuff that way. You know, you don't have to take three hours in the evening to make your meal. If you make it first thing in the morning or you prep it and then put it in there, it's 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 saving time so that you have time later because time is the one thing that we're not getting back. So you got to use it preciously. So what I've been doing is making taco meat in the, the crock pot. Uh, usually it's chicken, but sometimes I can do beef or pork. Um, so yeah, what I normally do is I take the 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 meat and I put some salt and pepper and then some fajita seasoning. If you don't have a very specific fajita seasoning you like, normally you can add some chili powder, garlic powder, onion powder, um, all of those together, and it basically gets the same flavor across. Uh, and then after I've put that all over the, the meat, I 
like to dump a lot of salsa on it. But before I do that, I like taking a few of the, what are they called? Limes. That was a really interesting word for me to have to not know what it was. Yeah, take a whole bunch of limes and I zest them. Just get all this skin, just kind of get it off with a nice zester, I guess. That's what the tool would be called. Then I also like to squeeze the the limes and put their juices all over the the, the crock pot base and the meat and just get it all in there. The one cool thing about having a crock pot is everything's going in there. It doesn't have to be pretty. It's just got to get done. And I like taking a jar of salsa. You don't want to spend too much money on this salsa. Don't get it too fancy because it's just there just to add flavor to it. Lately, I've been getting like a, like a, um, like a Newman's mild or, you know, you, you can experiment with what you'd like in order to get different flavors going with it. But you just put an entire thing of salsa depending on how many uh, people you're feeding. Basically, you just want to make sure that the the meat uh, is covered so that there's there aren't too much juices um, underneath. So there's not too much meat showing because you want your, your meat fully cooked in the juices. So you, once you get all that together, making sure that the meat's fully covered, you just set it on a low most of the day, like eight hours or so, and then... Uh, when you're done, you can just take a couple forks and shred it, and then you could uh, strain it if you want to make sure there isn't that much juice um, when you put it into your tacos, or if you want juicy stuff, that's cool too. It's up to you. And um, and then, yeah, and then you can do with it however you want. For example, you could get some soft shells, uh, get some hard shells, and some cheese and you can have a taco or you can get some refried beans and some and some rice and some flour tortillas and you can have a burrito or you can just put it in a flour tortilla with some cheese and you can have a quesadilla like there's 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 all sorts of options you could add guac you could um, put it all over some tortilla chips and make it a super nacho you've got all sorts of options but the important thing is is that your meat would be cooked most of the day. But that being said, here is my uh, disclaimer, because I don't want to get sued. Um, when you do leave an appliance on, you do always ri- risk a very, well, very small risk of something catching on fire. So please make sure you know and trust the crock pot and the area at which it's being in. There. I think that was my disclaimer. Just... Be smart, people. Um, but if you want to do some all sorts of fun options or uh, delicious things with your tacos, uh, I recommend it. If I'm not using the crock pot for tacos, I also do uh, barbecue chicken in there, which is basically the, the similar thing. You put your chicken in your crock pot, and then you take a, a can of sauce, or whatever sauce, um, whatever barbecue sauce you like, Lately, I've been using Stubbs um, or some sort of sweet Memphis sticky fingers thing. There's all sorts of stuff. Uh, You just let it marinate in there all day in your crock pot. And then at the very end, you can do whatever you want with it. Like you could have 
yellow rice with it and some veggies, or you could even have yourself a barbecue taco. There's so many things you can do with a crock pot. Uh, I'd be interested in knowing what you folks out there do with food in your crock pot. Um, yeah, if you want to give us a crock pot recipe, you can email it at us, did you know Ryano at gmail.com, and we could talk about crock pot recipes. I like talking about food. If you don't want to hear me talk about food on this podcast, also let us know because uh, I'll talk about just about anything, especially right after this. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This episode has been brought to you by Everyday Cosplay Finds. Ever wanted to show off your favorite character or group of characters, but don't see things online that match your style? Then check out Everyday Cosplay Finds, bringing cosplay into your everyday. Go to etsy.com slash shop slash everyday cosplay finds for more information. The 90s are back, people, and the best way to get prepared is to buy some scrunchies. But why would you buy some from Target where your mother-in-law, sister, or friend could get the same one? How embarrassing. When you could have a unique scrunchie of your own. From handmade scrunchies to homemade throw pillows, What's the Stitch is your one-stop shop to get everything you could want. At What's the Stitch, you can pick out the fabric or pattern you want, and she can make it just like you want it. You can check out What's the Stitch on their Instagram at What's the Stitch KP and on Facebook at What's the Stitch KP. And now back to our show. So some of you may be familiar with my past and some of you may not. So I'm going to tell you a fun story of back in the day when I was an Elvis impersonator. Yes, you heard it correctly, folks. When I was younger, I was an Elvis impersonator. When I was a young lad, I figured out that I could do silly voices like uh, Yoda. Ah, hard to see the dark side is. And Austin Powers and Dr. Evil. Because it was the 90s and that was a thing. Also, I was listening to Beatles and Elvis a lot when I was a youngster. Because that's pretty much the only thing that my neighbor was playing. And when you're a young kid in Michigan and it's nice outside to go in your backyard, sometimes backyards are close to each other because that's the suburbs. And depending on how large your sound system is, you can hear each other's music. So when I was out there playing with my toys, I was listening to Beatles and Elvis, a lot of Beatles and Elvis. So I started to get to know the music and then... uh, from watching TV and and movies and stuff, I picked up on some of his mannerisms and some of his moves. And from there, I was able to, to, to move my voice around and figure out that that was a thing that I could do. And it became fun. Uh, first started off as just a little tiny thing, borrowed a Elvis costume to do, uh, to do like a little talent show and also go to a, a nursing home and sing for one of my uh, grandma's friends. Did, did a couple of those things. And then um, decided to really get into it because if if uh, some people could go to nursing homes or go to like state fairs and stuff and get paid to just randomly sing, why couldn't I do it as Elvis? Because, you know, you 
on TV, you see people do impressions or you you see shows of people doing like Michael Jackson or Tina Turner or, you know, Elvis, Roy Orbison. There's a lot of impersonators out there. So I thought, hey, if they can make money and they can do it based on what they're doing, why, why couldn't I? So that's what I did. I uh, went out there and um, did a whole bunch of nursing homes. That was the majority of my clientele. But I also did some Elvis at some state fairgrounds. Um, those, those were fun. And uh, country fairs, state fairs, a lot of fairs. And um, and then did Elvis at the uh, birth. I did a bunch of birthday parties. Um, even made it into some rather famous venues like the House of Blues. It was a it was a good time. Oh, bringing the king of rock and roll, baby. Oh, and I I thoroughly enjoyed uh, doing all sorts of Elvis awesomeness. Of course, when you're learning how to do anything entertainment-wise, you know, like uh, learning how to play an instrument or um, you know, learning a song, learning a poem. If you're if you're learning stuff. You got to like really get into it and you got to practice. So a lot of times um, my, my dad would help me out with uh, practicing and learning how to be more like the king to to, to own my craft. I, I couldn't do a, a lot of what I did without his help, especially because I borrowed a lot of his equipment to go on my, my gigs. And um, and so most of sometimes uh, We'd be sitting outside and I'd be trying to work on a song and he'd be there supporting me through working on that song, you know, like wood shedding it as, as he called it. Just, he used to say, well, he still does, that uh, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. So if you're going to do it, go through it until, uh, until you get it right. And then once you get it right, do it again and again. And again, until it comes out awesome. And that was the mentality that I loved using when it came to um, going into the persona of the king. Is that once you know the moves and and lyrics, once they become second, second nature to you, then you can work on interacting with the crowd and, uh, and, and, and stuff like that. You know, get the lyrics... Get them well. How I always did it was notes, moves, and lyrics in in that order. Because the notes, if you don't know the notes, um, knowing the lyrics doesn't matter. Uh, you could be like, "Are you lonesome tonight? Are you with me tonight?" But if you don't have the rhythm, "Are you lonesome tonight?" Then then what's what's the point? You got to get the rhythm. You got to get the 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 notes to it, and then once those happen, I always loved getting the uh, the lyrics through it. Sometimes I didn't even remember them, but that's uh, you know one of my personal problems. Um, and then the moves, moves are fun. Uh, it's a lot of hip shaking, uh, a lot of twisting, a, a lot of uh, pelvic usage. And he he was the king of uh, rock and roll, and. Uh, and learning how to move like that in order to make the crowd go crazy was lots of fun. A lot of times I'd go to these gigs during summer or winter when I wasn't necessarily in school. So I had plenty of time to to, to rock and roll. And um, I was able to take 
my number one fan with me on most of my events because she just always loved seeing me uh, perform and sing and, and have fun. And that's, uh, that's my grandma. I used to pick her up and we'd go to the, the gig and I would set up and I'd get her a spot in the front row. And, uh, she and I were talking about it, um, just the other day about her enjoying being front stage and being like, this is, this is my grandson. I, you know, I'm so proud. And it, it was cool just having her there as a, as one of my fans, you know, some people, you, you, you go to place and place and, um, and you get certain fans that follow you. Well, she was the same way. She would follow me, but she was also my, my, my plus one. Because there were certain places that we went to where um, where they were kind of exclusive. You know, really they didn't allow any outside folks to, any, any visitors. But she was with the entertainment. So she was able to to have a free show and, and hang out. So that was pretty cool for her. And cool for me having someone to to be there in the audience just for me. Not because people there, you know, wanted them to come and check it out, but she was there specifically to see me, not Elvis, but to see me. And that support was awesome. And the reason that she was able to go to all of these is because she was retired and uh, had Monday to, you know, Monday through Friday off. So she could go with me pretty much at any time. Um, my folks were always a bit jealous in that because uh, they had to work. Uh, but there were also times when they were able to come too. And that was pretty cool. It's always nice when, when you get to have your entire family involved with whatever sort of activity you're doing. And uh, I, I would enjoy um, having them and sometimes my aunts and uncles. You know, it was it was just always cool. I also enjoyed it when you know, I wasn't the only one putting the entertainment system together in our you know, have an actual uh, assistant to, to help me out and uh, tell me uh, tell me what my levels were at and adjust them so that I didn't have to. It's it it's one thing when you're um, being on a stage and um, and you know interacting with the crowd, but if you have to constantly monitor your own sound, you you lose that 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 presence um, or, or presentism. Uh, b- being there at the moment. So you uh, have to focus more on how you sound. But if you have someone else there with you, that's even better. Uh, so then they can worry about that and you just worry about rocking the house and making sure that everyone in there is having a good time. It's been roughly eight years since the last time I donned the white jumpsuit with the eagle on the cape and and was uh, rocking it with the sideburns in front of a large crowd, and there are multiple times where I totally miss it. And um, every now and then you'll hear me tell some fun stories going forward about my days as an Elvis impersonator, you know, those those fairgrounds, a lot of those crazy adventures. I'll tell you some fun stories in the, in the future, but I thought I'd give you a quick insight as to my past as an Elvis impersonator in Michigan. Now we're going to learn something together, which is always a fun thing to do in this podcast. Um, The other day I heard someone mention that they lost the equivalent of uh, one stone worth of weight. And I was always wondering, 
what a stone was in comparing in comparement to um, pounds or kilograms. So, or the history of those stones. For example, um, we found out that a stone is equivalent to 14 pounds or uh, 6.35, so let's say six and a third kilograms. Yeah, uh, apparently stones um, dates back way, 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 way back uh, to when individuals were using um, the heaviest thing they could to to balance against other things. So you would use specific stones to calculate the weight of um, your gold or the weight of your your food um, or or lead or anything to make sure that there was some sort of consistency when it came to trade and um, and, and yeah so there were uh, multiple stone stones for trade like you'd have a London stone which was used for wool um, you would have another stone used for for wax and another one for sugar and spice and, and another one for, for beef and each stone, uh, they would have a, a, their own stone, but, um, they decided that the, the, the wool stone of 14 pounds was going to be the, the average one to calculate most weight. And of course that, that was mostly for like animals and, and whatnot. Um, so that was what a lot of humans were referred to as well. So that's kind of how that moved about. Um, so now, uh, 14 pounds, one stone. Yeah. So, so now you've, you've also learned something about weights and, and stones. Um, so if you lose 14 pounds, like on your diet, you lost a stone. That's pretty hardcore. And now for some history on slow cookers or crockpots. You know, the, the, the crockpot um, or, or slow cookers came out in the 1940s. In the 1940s when it was created, uh, apparently there was a guy named uh, Irving Nachumson, um, a.k.a. Naxon. He, there was a, well... It was created to, to, to cook kolent, which was a traditional stew eaten by Jews in Eastern Europe on the Sabbath. But they were forbidden from cooking um, on that day. They would bring these pots of stew to a nearby bakery the day before. And then um, they would cook slowly in the residual heat from the ovens. Yeah. It's the advent of the, the slow cooker. It's pretty cool. Um, and then... A lot later, like once, um, well, once some married women and single women were, uh, or just most women who, you know, back in the day were primarily responsible for cooking. And I'm just talking about history here, not my opinion, just talking about history here. Um, so with them joining the, the workforce, um, around World War II, they, um, they had uh, a lot more time that they didn't want to use during the day for food because they were using it in order to make money. Uh, so instead, they had the ability to uh, put them in these um, appliances 
and uh, first thing in the day or or um, or or prep it and just let it sit in there all day long. And then at the end of their day, uh, when they got home, food would be ready so that um, all all people in the family could could eat. So, yeah, and it it really got um, more popular in the 1970s for for some reason. Don't know why, but um, let's see. Oh, that's here it is. Um, um, Naxon, the guy that created um, the the first design for the slow cooker, um, sold it to rival manufacturing who rebranded it and put it on the market as the Crock-Pot, which was marketed towards working mothers who could put food in the pot before leaving for the office and come home to a cooked meal. And it sold millions, they sold millions and millions and millions, and its popularity is pretty high. And that is the quick history of the Crock-Pot. I like Crock-Pots, lots of cool things you can put in them, as we talked about earlier in the episode. So my question of this week goes out to all of you. What's your favorite Crock-Pot meal? Let us know. You can always email us, didyouknowryano at gmail.com. You can email us any question you might have about just about anything. You can also visit us at Facebook. Um, Did you know with Ryano, we've got fun facts. We've got a bunch of questions up there, a couple of photos, all sorts of fun stuff happening. And you can also check us out on Twitter at DidYouKnowRyanO. That's pretty much all we have for this episode. So remember, folks, find your awesome, hold on to it, and share it with the world. I've been Ryan O, and we'll see you next time.